Welcome back to Two Cops and a Donut. I am your host, Dirk Mason, and with me today is Teddy, the pumpkin spice lover, Maxwell. <laughs> That's right, folks. Teddy is back. It took him a while to get back, but we are here today in the studio, or a loft that we converted into a studio, and we're going to bring you the 1996 classic film, Fargo, and also we're going to be eating some whiskey-infused donuts. So stick with me on Two Cops and a Donut, and now, the Donut of the Week. Mmm, donuts. All right, Teddy, you're back. Teddy Maxwell is back in the heezy. <laughs> I think I'm going to do this entire episode, by the way, in my Boston accent. <laughs> I think it's appropriate because I came in today drinking nothing but donkeys. Yeah, An extra large regular, which is five creams and five sugars. Where'd you get that, by the way? I got it at the Dunkin' Donuts off of Arapahoe Road, 925. Huh. Yeah. And then uh, when you came into my house, you immediately dumped it out and grabbed yourself a pot of bones. I did. I haven't had bones coffee in a while. Was it uh, Dirk here had gotten the Christmas... I don't know, what would you call it? Cornucopia, smorgasbord of bones? Yeah, Lisa put in an order uh, on her own and got the sample pack of Candyland, Christmas Candyland, gingerbread, the peppermint bark, Mm -hmm. eggnog, and I can't remember the the fifth one. The gingerbread one? Did you already say that? Yeah. Okay, I don't know. Yeah, Jingle bones? Jingle bones. That was it. It was like, it's caramel coconut. It's really good. So when when you were outside... (laughs) arguing over some type of bric-a-brac i was inside sampling all of your bones <laughs> coffee and the candy land i figured out what it was it kind of has a pb and j smell i think it has like a grape flavor to it or something hmm? i think it's supposed to be candy flavored oh okay yeah so we are drinking bones right now out of our authentic bones mugs you have the franken bones one which is really cool i love the art design but i think i have the ultimate here yeah uh, which bag? Oh, this was from the eggnog bag, and the Bones uh, character is Cousin Eddie from Christmas Vacation, the 1989 hit Christmas Vacation. Merry Christmas! Dinner was full! Love it. No, it's so cool. You gotta check out these mugs. You gotta go online and check out these mugs. They are pricey. But they are really, really well made. It's something that would last you forever, and the artwork on it is freaking awesome. But they did just have a special where this is where we bought two. It was buy buy one get another one basically free. Okay. So that's how we got that one. That's dope. Yeah, I want to look up this Christmas Candyland and make sure we're describing it I right. Think, I think we're right on track. As a matter of fact. Anywho, I am back. The last time you guys saw me, it was before the Dominican Republic. Yeah. I know these guys were talking uh, about their experience at the Dominican. So I'm going to give you some of Teddy's insight on the DR. Yeah. <laughs> I drank an obscene amount, <laughs> probably more than any person should have. I said it right from the get-go because Teddy got his abs going at the beginning. <laughs> and I was drinking nothing but vodka sodas with lime the entire time. And good good call on those tumblers. Oh, yeah. 
because uh, Dirk here bought me a 32-ounce tumbler. And then as it went on, I became lazy and fat. That's the way it goes. <laughs> we had nothing but flamingos, coca locos, painkillers, Miami vices, pina coladas, all sorts <laughs> of sugary nonsense. Now, the weather was great. The resort itself was unbelievably beautiful. Probably one of the more beautiful resorts I've ever been to. The food was eh-eh. Not on time. Yeah. was not a food fan there. Oh, sorry about that. What do you got? It's my uh, text message. Mario. Uh, sorry to interrupt. Christmas Candyland just says Christmas candy with white chocolate. Hmm. So I don't know what the Christmas candy is. Smells like grape to me. <laughs> it does have an, a different smell to it, uh, like right out of the bag. It doesn't, does, yeah. doesn't taste like, or it doesn't smell like Christmas candy. It will throw you off. That's a curveball when you smell coffee and it tastes, it smells fruity to you. It's very weird, so. Uh, I'm going to ask you what Lisa and I discussed last time. What was the best part about the DR and what was the worst part? Uh, the best part would have to be the scenery and the, the resort. Like the beach was really, really nice. It was, yeah, it was nice. I, w- I would just say the rooms and the, the food, you know, it was just you know, run-of-the-mill type place. I mean, there was nothing bad about it. It was just, it was probably, the, I'd say, oh, the service. Yeah. There you go. Let's talk about the service in the old Dominican Republic. Now, this is my hypothesis. And that is, in Mexico, when you go to those resorts, they expect you to tip. So you're constantly throwing ones down. Sometimes you throw maybe two down if you're getting a you know round of drinks. My friend Harry and I would uh, like to buy you guys a round of beers just to bury the hatchet. Make it four Boilermakers. Whatever you want, sir. I'll have the waitress bring it over immediately. So they work harder and they're maybe a little bit more friendly. In the resorts I've been to Mexico. Now, this is my first DR trip, so it might have been the resort. I don't want to, like, throw the whole country on blast. <laughs> Dash the DR. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so the, the service was just, it, like, when we first walked in, I was, by the way, I was greeted by Dirk's wonderful family as I walked into the hotel because Dirk <laughs> hadn't arrived yet. And uh, we go to the bar to get our first round of drinks. There was not one person at the bar, and it took the bartender about five minutes to get me a vodka soda. So... It was a little, it just seemed like they weren't expecting tips. It's not customary to tip in the Dominican Republic. So it didn't seem like they worked very hard. Or they, yeah, they, I, they didn't try to win my affection. I told you that uh, about like comparison to Mexico is that if you're going to tip, I mean, I feel like that those, the people working at the resorts deserve tips because Absolutely, they sure. don't make probably that much money. And when you do tip, normally in Mexico, the resorts that I went to, the guys are like happy and they're like, hell yeah, I'll give you more drinks, more drinks, more drinks because they want more tips. But oh. in the DR, it was just like, meh. They yeah, just totally. didn't care. I, yeah, I, and I think, trust me, in Mexico, <laughs> I want them to pretend that they like my fat white body being up at the bar. <laughs> like... At a minimum, pretend that you want us there. You know what I mean? The DR was just all attitude. Yeah. That'd be my only thing. Uh, it was the service. But overall, it was really cool. It was great. I had a good time. And it wasn't very expensive either. I mean, I spent 23 something for 10 days with a flight, all-inclusive. And I brought a brick of $1 bills. Made me feel like I was balling for a second there. But <laughs> well, I mean, not yeah. so much. Our whole wedding package and everything we paid for, I mean, we paid... It was under under 10k mm-hmm. and here if you wanted to get married in colorado just the location would be ten thousand. Oh yeah so hey, if anyone out there wants teddy maxwell to officiate their wedding i'd like to let you know i am available <laughs> so a hundred dollars plus a plate and plus a to-go plate that's all go. i require <laughs> constant drinks mm. and keep the vodka flowing for sure 
So what do we have this week in terms of donuts? So I wasn't here last week, obviously. They went to some place called Habit Donuts. Habit Donut Dispensary. Yeah, donut we Dispensary. talked about how it might have, we thought at first it was like a marijuana donut or something mm-hmm. like that, but no. So it turns out they're whiskey infused. Some of them you can get alcohol infused. Mm-hmm. We didn't get that this time, or we didn't get that last time, but this time we got a little alcohol infused in our donuts. Yeah, she, uh, Lisa brings out a bag, not a script bag, pulls out three donuts. They look amazeballs, really good. We divided them up. We, we didn't do our normal dozen, <laughs> so that's why I'm not about to take a nap on the ground in front of the mic here. Yeah, we did three donuts. We, quarter, we quartered. quartered them, <laughs> uh, cut them into fours, actually, and then we all sampled from them. There was like a, maybe we get Lisa on here to describe it real quick. All right, Lisa, describe the donuts that we had this morning. So we had a raspberry, raspberry white chocolate, and that one had a lemon liqueur in it. We had a chocolate one that had a chocolate martini, something like that. It was a chocolate liqueur injected into it. And then we had a green Oreo white chocolate. (laughs) I don't know. It It looked like Slimer took a dump on me. Basically. Basically, and then he ate Oreos because he had chunks of Oreos in his shart. (laughs) I have to say, that was my favorite, was the green Oreo donut. Yeah, and that one, I think, had chocolate liqueur on it as well. It didn't taste like chocolate. Wait, no, that was chocolate. Chocolate and chocolate, and then the chocolate donut had (laughs) rum in it. I don't know. They just, just, they had shots in them. Just so the listener know, Lisa's running off of like six hours of sleep and 72 hours of working. She's a little out of it right now. Yeah. I I don't even know how long I've been up, but I've been going nonstop since yesterday sometime. Yeah. And I still don't know what day it is. But those donuts were bomb.com, and I do know that. And it wasn't overwhelming. It wasn't like you took a bite and you're like, oh, God. Yeah, it didn't. Alcohol. And especially at 11... In the morning, you know, it's kind of weird right? <laughs> to have that. <laughs> I'm fading. <laughs> Thanks for uh, describing those donuts, and we'll come back to you in a second. Well, thank you, Lisa. I appreciate You're that welcome. good description. <laughs> she was also my replacement on the last episode of Two Cops and a Donut. It's not a Tuma episode. <laughs> Dirk and I have been at it. We've been going at it. He's kicked me off the show. Yeah. Didn't want me here. He's trying to censor me. <laughs> Trying to silence me for whatever reason. No idea. Dirk, you can't do it. It's my First Amendment right. I will be here and I will throw it in your face and you can't stop me. Let's just say uh, Teddy got up in a different section of the police department, so that's why he was gone, starting a new unit. I'm in a new unit. It's a specialty unit. It's not very special. We're supposed to be a unit. Suck my unit. But I'm kicking ass, and um, stop changing the subject, Dirk, and you can't silence me, and you (laughs) won't, and you can try, but I'll be back, knocking on your door. I'm going to be on the next episode. There's (laughs) nothing you can do about it. Let me in that podcast. <laughs> yeah. So, 
What did you think about the donuts? The donuts were good. I'm not a very big fan of putting booze on shit to enhance the flavor. I think it's... So they have like um, some... You know, you were on Facebook or on Instagram or you're on one of those things where they show the little ad advertisements for like, oh, this hip new place in Greenwich Village. They put ice cream, but they, you know, put vodka and whiskey and shit and fucking limoncello and all sorts of crap on top. Right. And I'm like, that's gross. It just ruins the ice cream and it like ruins the booze to me you're not drinking enough booze to get a smooth buzz it's a different flavor too when you add it to food i i like drinking alcohol mm -hmm. but when you like uh lisa and i went to the melting pot like oh, yeah. two years ago uh people that like enjoy fondue or whatever yeah more power to you i did not like it at all i thought it's a waste of money but we got like this section of you get you know appetizer dinner and then dessert but mm -hmm. appetizer is like a cheese infused wine or whiskey or whatever they put in there and it's disgusting my eyes can't roll any further <laughs> back into my head leave the cheese alone i just don't get it i i think it's more like a i don't know it's cool because it's different type thing even though it's fucking disgusting yeah it was gross so but these donuts were i will say they were different they were good uh it didn't really didn't change the flavor it didn't profile. change the flavor profile right it yeah. enhanced it a little bit i think that's one of the good things they're doing with it it's not just uh you know we're uh, we're different we're doing it and the donuts actually suck the donuts are pretty good they tasted good i like the raspberry one that was good it had the raspberry one had some type of lemon liqueur in it and it was delicious i liked it so so your donut of the week is the raspberry one with the limoncello shit in it it's yeah. delish. I will say though, give them the price on three fucking donuts for sixteen dollars. Yeah, no, uh -uh. that's Sorry. too much. I'm gonna hit the Entenmann's aisle over <laughs> in my local supermarket, get a six pack for a dollar ninety nine, <laughs> get my gallon of whole milk. I'm telling you, man, the crumbs, like the crumb little donuts, those are my favorite. What, like the Hostess ones? Yeah, yeah. You can get a bag of those now. Crumb donut. Two ninety nine. Well, my donut of the week is the one you'll see. We'll post it on Instagram later. Um, it's the Slimer shit, the Slimer poop donut. Um, it's, I don't know what kind of liqueur was in it, but it was very mild and it tasted really good. It was good. So any where does this rank all time? So we've gone down the list. We've had so many fucking donut places. Where does habit donuts rank? Is it, let's, let's just do this. Let's not list all the donut places we've been to. What's your favorite so far? Um, I can't even remember. But I rated this one last week, so it's all it's all up to you. I've had this one before. Okay. Um, Number it one, it doesn't move for me. Fractured prune still holds the top. I'm gonna say this slides in the top five, but it's gonna be like four or five. Five. Let's give it five. Last, as always, yum yum donuts. Yeah, that one's or whatever the fuck that <laughs> was. Remember the place I went to up in Golden or up in Wheat Ridge or I can't remember yeah, the way hell the it was. hell over West Westminster maybe. Yeah, I'm just naming places that are far away. <laughs> Uh, yeah, not very good. Not a big fan. But uh, this one's top five. It was good. I liked it. Yeah. Maybe $16. Maybe, hey, uh, you at Habit. What the hell is it? Habit, Habit Donut Dispensary. Habit Donut Dispensary. Maybe you'll lower those prices a smidge. Yeah. Maybe I mean, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll boost you a spot or two. Uh, Lisa went there. She got the donuts. I didn't see how much alcohol they were putting, but a shooter at a liquor store is not more i mean it's a dollar dollar 99 at the most mm -hmm. for your top shelf guarantee they're not putting like bullet bourbon into these well, things she was saying that you had to be 21 to buy this shit yeah which brought me to my next thing like people use cooking wine they use alcohol vodka like um penny penny vodka and all these different like dishes that have booze in them and you don't need to be 21 to get it hold on i gotta interject because <laughs> those they're cooked out 
So like if you cook a cookie or bake anything with it, the heat kills the alcohol. It'll like make the alcohol evaporate. Whereas this, she literally took an injector and like shoved it in and after like- After the donut was yeah, cooked. Yeah, after the donut was cooked. So mm. the donut, like the dough could suck it up. Interesting. Oh. Okay. Sorry. Because when I make my penne a la vodka, I drink about half the bottle myself <laughs> while just putting a spritz into the frying pan. Lisa's the cooking expert, so- That's true. She put the kibosh on you right away. Oh yeah, she knows her stuff, <laughs> that's for sure. Straighten us right out. So there, you're done with the DR. I'm done with the DR. I'm ready to move on with my life. I got a great new job. I mean, I'm still a cop, but I got a cool new job. That's been the issue too. Is it's been hard for me and Dirk to get back. Um, He's working 12s now. So. I'm working 12-hour shifts, and we're on the exact opposite schedules. Yeah. We have every other week one day that overlaps that where we're off. And I don't know if I told you, Dirk lives in Wyoming, and it's about <laughs> a five to eight-hour drive just to get up here. <laughs> So it's very, very difficult for us to keep this thing going, but we're trying. I don't want, actually, like uh, Dirk was saying, we're getting angry messages. So we need to keep this thing going. We were on a roll there for a second too. Yeah, till uh, till Halloween. But yeah. you know, the start of the year is coming around and hopefully some stuff changes my way too. Yeah. Get some different schedules going on. It might throw us a little hiccup here in the next month or so, but we're going to bring the podcast to you as soon as we can. Try to keep you updated. And yeah, don't forget to go to BonesGoffee.com, grab yourself a bag, use Donut10 for your coupon code. Let's roll on to the movie. Yeah, were you skipping personnel files now? Yeah, I, You've kind of changed the makeup of the show. You kind of, you, you boxed me out, you tried to <laughs> silence me, you wouldn't let me come over, well, you replaced me unceremoniously with Lisa. You know what, maybe we should ask the peeps. Yeah, what? well, I guess they don't want to hear from us anymore. Yeah. I guess they're tired of it. I know you are because you stopped letting me come over. You wouldn't answer my calls or my texts. You boxed me out. You wouldn't let me on the show. It's half my show. I own half of it. I don't like that insolent tone. Uh, I meant nothing by it. No, 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 no. You want to run things here? No, not at all. You want to be daddy? Is that it? Number two, you want to wear the daddy pants? You going to cry? You going to cry? You going to cry? You going to cry? What are you? Huh? Are you going to squirt some? Are you going to cry? Huh? Huh? Yeah, see, you're going to cry, huh? You're a big man now, huh? Yeah, thought so. We're going to court, dude. You're going to court. Yeah, Take I'm me to taking court. you to court. I'm suing you over this. All right, so I guess we're going to move on to the movie. We're going to be cutting the old two cops and a donut shot here for a little bit. So we're going to move on to the 1996 hit, Fargo. Yeah, stick with us. Stand by. I'm uh, Jerry Lundegaard. You got the car? You bet. Brand new burnt umber Sierra. You want your own wife kidnapped. Her dad, he's real well off. So why don't you just ask him for the money? <laughs> See, these are personal matters. Personal matters? Huh? Wait, it's Jerry. I don't know what to do. It's my wife. We gotta talk. It's something hard, geez. It's terrible. Oh, I got the state looking for a Sierra with a tag starting DLR. Sure that I agree with you 100% on your police work there, Lou. I think that vehicle there probably had dealer plates. Jeez. DLR? No, they said no cops. Here's the second one. So we got a trooper pull someone over. This a new car then, sir? Oh, it certainly is, officer. Still got that smell. There's a high-speed pursuit. We got a shooting. And then this execution-type deal. A million dollars a lot of damn money. They got my daughter. Hi, hon. Brought you some lunch, Margie. What are those, night crawlers? Oh, yeah, looks pretty good. How's Gene? 
Who's Jean? My wife. <laughs> well, the little guy, he was kind of funny looking. You were having sex with a little fella then? Yeah. Do mind if I sit down? Trying quite a load here. Where's Jerry? Got your damn money. Now where's my daughter? Jeez. Blood has been shit. We now want the entire 80,000. I answered the darn... I'm cooperating here. You have no call to get snippled with me. I'm just doing my job here. <gasps> what do you fellas got yourself mixed up in? Police! <laughs> so, is there anything else you can tell me about him? He wasn't circumcised. Oh, yeah? All right, we should be recording now. Sorry, oh, we had yes. a little hiccup there. We had some <laughs> technical difficulties there. <laughs> uh, so that was the uh, trailer for the 1996 film Fargo. Uh, we are talking about how you said it's freezing oh, there right now. It's fucking witch tick cold in Fargo, <laughs> North Dakota right now. We were saying that, you know, it's appropriate to do this movie. It's not very, it's not 100% law enforcement. It's not our typical cop movie that we've done. Although Frances McDormand's character, she's the sheriff. She's the head honcho in it. And she plays a big role. Dirk was saying in this, we, we recorded a whole thing that just wasn't recording, by the yeah. way. So we're going to reiterate quite a bit. She's saying that it's December and it's cold as balls. And that's why I was saying that it, Fargo, North Dakota is like, I don't know how cold it is, but it's a lot colder than Denver. Yeah, I don't, I'm going to pull it up while we're talking here. Uh, Fargo uh, on IMDb was rated an 8.1 out of 10. Uh, budget in 96 was 7 mil. It's a tidy sum then as it is now. Yeah, and then opening weekend in 97 when it was released only made only made $137,300. But gross worldwide now, 36 mil. Mm, so, gotcha. And it's a cult classic. I mean, it's one of those things where people... It's still a quotable movie, even though it's almost, what, it's like 22, 23 years old at this point. Yeah. Fargo, North Dakota right now, it's 38 degrees. Ooh. It's not that bad. It's actually not too bad. I watched, actually, the Fargo TV series before I actually sat down and watched this full movie, Mm -hmm. which I don't know if that was... I saw some things that was in the TV series that re... Like, it's from this one. Yeah. So... Yeah, they definitely match it up. The The TV series is a darker rendition of the movie. The movie was bringing some levity to it. It was bringing some comedy to it. And, you know, that's going to be one of the points I bring about the movie. And some of the people, actually, that I do north, know from North Dakota are like... And it's the first thing anyone says to anyone from North Dakota. Hey, are you from Fargo? Because <laughs> fucking there's nothing in North Dakota. Darn tootin'. Yeah, <laughs> darn tootin'. Uh, that's one of the, you know, the aspects of the movie. I think that's probably stands out the most to to, to viewers so it won us- won two oscars best actress in a leading role mm-hmm. for uh francis and, and then best uh writing screenplay uh written directly for the screen right so and that was uh joel and ethan cohen right which i i read that there was like some stuff that there was that they based this story off true events it's just and it bullshit. Says, yeah it's just not true I forget what they call that in the movie mm-hmm. thing, but it's like based on true events, but it's actually a fiction, like a fictional thing. Sure. So, in the movie, basically, the movie follows Jerry Lundegaard. Oh, Jerry Lundegaard, which uh, William H Macy plays, played by William H Macy. Jerry Lundegaard is in some type of financial distress. We don't know exactly what it is. Me and Dirk were fucking rehashing, trying to go over this, try to figure this out so we could maybe give a better synopsis for the, the viewers. But you don't ever really find out why he's in such bad financial straits. Right. So Jerry Lundegaard is in bad financial, he's in a bad financial position. So he's doing anything he can 
in order to recoup or make a large sum of money. Right. That was my notepad that just fell on the ground, by the way. <laughs> to make a large sum of money. He, uh, his wife's father is very wealthy. You can tell he's an entrepreneur who's kind of made an empire. Read this synopsis from IMDb, the top one, real quick. And <laughs> we'll, then we'll go, go from there. Let's, let's see it. So IMDb says, this is written by John Reeves. At jreeves at imdb.com. Jerry Lundegaard's inept crime falls apart due to his and his henchmen's bungling and the <laughs> persistent police work of quite of the quite pregnant Marge Gunderson. Yeah. Marge, son of a Gunderson. <laughs> so basically, that's William H. Macy's character. He needs a lot of money. So he comes up with a plan basically to have his wife be kidnapped with a million dollar ransom because his wife's father. Is some type of entrepreneur. You could tell he was kind of like a blue-collar dude that kind of made an empire. He's loaded. Loaded. He initially tries to go not the way of crime by offering her father a business deal, which right. he could both, you know, I guess, reap the benefits of the financial windfall that would eventually happen. He asks for more money than what the proposal actually is. He says, like, in the beginning, it says, like, seven fifty, but then he asks for a million, I think. Right. And that's probably smart, right? I mean, yeah. If you go back to like the John Benet Ramsey thing, like they asked for like $118,000. Like, you know what I mean? It's like a very odd sum of money. So right. just go with the rounded $1 million, right? Yeah. You're going to kidnap someone. If you need $2 million, go be like, I need five. Yeah. And make sure the fucking person has the money because otherwise <laughs> you're up shit's creek. That's basically what it is. And you have the, the very, very smart sheriff, Marge Gunderson. She's pregnant. She looks like she's about eight to nine months pregnant. I mean, she's about ready to drop. Yeah. But she's still going to work every day. Um, and she kind of foils the whole plan. Like, and the whole point is, and this is one of the, the main points I want to make about the movie, right? Mm-hmm. Is that, uh, and it, you bring this up to people from North Dakota, is that they try to make the people sound stupid. Yeah, with their darn tooting and don't you know. Right, yeah. right. And they, they try to make them sound stupid. And I think that was kind of the whole point of Joel and Ethan Cohen was to really, really overdo it on like their mannerisms, the way they speak. And then you even Marge, Marge Gunderson, Francis McDermott. Is it McDermott or McDormand? Uh, McDermott. Francis McDermott. Dormant. McDormand. Dormant, Francis McDormand's yeah. character, she even talks like that. And she, the way she speaks is, you, it kind of, she sounds unintelligent, right? Right. Then you come to find out she's actually an excellent investigator and she actually cracks the crime just by doing, like, I mean, basic police work, follow up. Right. Interview people, see their kind of their disposition. She follows up on a bunch of leads, and uh, it's funny because she's so pregnant. She's like making pit stops at Hardee's, <laughs> Jack in the Box. You know what I mean? She's constantly eating in the movie, which is also another funny thing. Yeah, that's what I noticed. So, and what they uh, definitely in like William H Macy's character, they make him out to be an idiot too. Yeah, like I mean the way he does. Uh, we were talking about how we don't know what the financial crisis is that he's in, but he like in the when he, he's like a car dealer. At a car dealership? He is... So, uh, his father-in-law sales. owns the car dealership. It's one of his many businesses, and he is the executive sales manager at the, the car dealership. So, middle manager. That's the funny part, too. It's like, the fucking... His father-in-law does not respect him at all. Right. But you can tell he, like, float, like float him in a bone there and is like, hey, I'll give you a job at one of my dealerships. You know what I mean? Right. And he still didn't even make him the head honcho there because he's kind of a dumbass. <laughs> Well, and that's what I I noticed in the movie too is that he's in so much financial crisis that he it sounds like that he actually like took some cars or something. He took loans out on the equity of a bunch of the cars that were on the lot. But what he did do, 
most of the cars didn't exist. Right. He made up VINs and all that. He crap. made up VIN numbers and everything like that. So constantly through the movie, he's being harassed by someone from a bank. Yeah. And he's like, you know, hey, hey Jerry, you got to send over those VIN numbers, you know, on those cars. You know, we gave you quite a big loan there. And he's constantly trying to figure a way out of it, saying, oh, those are in the mail. Yeah, I'll just fax them right over. And he's like, nah, if no faxes are no good. The numbers, I can't read the numbers. He's like, yeah, I'll just send you a fax. He's like, no, dumbass, I need the freaking Yeah, because they're numbers. fake cars. Mr. Lundegaard, this is Riley Diefenbach from GMAC. How are you this morning? Real good. How are you doing? Pretty good, Mr. Lundegaard. You're damn hard to get on the phone. <laughs> it's pretty darn busy here, but that's the way we like it. Well, that's for sure. Now... I just need on these last, uh, these financing documents that you sent us, I can't read the serial numbers of the vehicles. Yeah, but I, I already got the, it's okay, the loans are in place. I already got the, the, what, the... Yeah, the uh, 320000 you got the money last month. Yeah, so we're all set then. Yeah, but the vehicles that you're borrowing on, I, I just can't read the serial numbers on your application. Maybe if you could just uh, read them. Yeah, but the deal's already done, I already got the money. Yes, we have an audit here. I just have to know that these vehicles you're financing with this money, that they really exist. Yeah, well, they exist, all right. <laughs> no, no, I'm sure they do. But I, I can't read the serial numbers here, so if you could read me some... Yeah, but, uh, see, um, I don't have them in front of me. Why don't I just fax you over a copy? No, no, well, no fax is no good. That's what I have, and I, I can't read the darn yeah. thing. Yeah, okay, I'll, I'll have my girl send you a copy then. Okay, because if I can't correlate this note with the specific vehicles, then I gotta call back that money. Yeah, how much money was that? 320000 I gotta correlate that money with the cars it's being lent on. Yeah, okay, no problem. I'll just fax that right over no, no, to no, you. No, 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 fax it. I mean, send it over. I'll shoot it right over okay. to you then. Okay, fine. Okay, real good then. So he's just, he's just, you could tell, it's a convoluted mess, like, where he, you know, it's it's kind of like he's, was it Robin Peter to pay Paul, right? He's yeah. just trying to figure out a way to get himself out of this financial mess when the long and short of it if he just fucking went to his father-in-law and said i screwed this up i i need a loan or yeah you know instead of getting his wife kidnapped you fucking idiot yeah uh, that just and so he gets referred by uh, a mechanic that works in the yes. dealership by someone else yeah so one of the mechanics you could tell he's an ex-con yeah native american dude uh proudfoot ship proudfoot and he gets he you know he knows people in the underworld and he gets put in touch with them in order to uh kind of hatch this whole kidnapping scheme yeah who are the two actors that are uh doing that what um, the kidnapping scheme yeah so it is steve buscemi in this this movie this was after steve buscemi kind of made his name in reservoir dogs reservoir yeah. dogs i believe was 92 or 93 this is 96, so Steve Buscemi was kind of a big name already, and, you know, they kind of worked that. You can tell they they had Steve Buscemi in mind when they did this movie, mm-hmm. because a lot of the dialogue focuses on what Steve Buscemi looks like. Yeah. And many of the times you can hear him say, hey, he's kind of funny looking. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> you know, all the, they say. The little one is kind of funny looking. Okay. I want you to tell me what these fellas look like. Well, the little guy, he was kind of funny looking. In what way? I don't know, just funny looking. Can you be any more specific? I couldn't really say. He wasn't circumcised. Was he funny looking apart from that? Yeah. So, you were having sex with a little fella then? Uh Uh-huh. Is there anything else you can tell me about him? No. Like I say, he was funny looking. More than most people, even. Now, the other guy is played by German actor Peter Stormare. And you've seen this guy. um, He played Lev. He's like every villain. Armageddon. He was in The Big Lebowski. He played uh, the Nihilist. (laughs) Like... Uli Coco. 
He's like uh, the bad guy in uh, Bad Boys 2. Yeah. Uh, he's a good actor. He's a really yeah. good actor. He's, I think he's German or something or fucking from Switzerland or I can't remember, but he's yeah. a good actor. He doesn't speak much in the movie, and that's kind of the whole point, is that Steve Buscemi won't stop running his suck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this guy just opens his mouth like four times, you know? <laughs> so, and they're kind of bumbling idiots. I mean, Steve Buscemi, like I said, I think he was intentionally... They're both brutal in their own way, right? Mm-hmm. They're not... But they're kind of idiots, and it's kind of funny to see them kind of work their way through kidnapping this poor woman. Yeah, so they end up going to his house. They give him, He gives them his home address. They go in mm. and kidnap her. Um, and it's her- a fucking mess. It's like they're breaking windows. She's running around the house. She almost gets away. Yeah, falls down the stairs and yeah. like almost breaks her neck. She's a fighter, man. Yeah, they end up kidnapping her, and then the whole thing starts going south is when they're going back to take her to this cabin uh, safe place you know until until he can get the ramps ransom money and uh sheriff pulls him over or a trooper yeah state trooper a north dakota state trooper pulls him over and god the one thing that always gets me about that scene is how fucking cold does it look yeah it's looks brutal it looks like it's like negative 25 like i won't get out of my patrol car (laughs) if it's under 50 degrees to do anything unless i'm forced to and what he stopped them because they were dealer plates or something. Uh, they didn't put their tags. The re- uh, yeah, the registration, which is stupid. He no, had it was them. a dealer plate because he's like, oh, it's DLR. That means it's yeah, a but dealer. it wasn't properly affixed in like the back windshield or like whatever. I don't know some North Dakota bullshit. Yeah, that part didn't make sense to me because if it is dealer plates, which I'm pretty sure that's what Marge comes out with, it's um, you don't have to have tags on those, right? So or registration tags. God, what a fucking dumb. Jerry Lundegaard, he gives them a car from the lot. I mean, yeah, to, yeah. To, to do the crime in. Yeah, so, he's not very smart. As a police officer, one of the big <laughs> things is, and we have some people on our department that believe that if you have stolen cars, catching steals, stolen cars, people in them is very important because almost every other crime that's subsequent to a stolen car, we're talking robberies, we're talking sex assaults, we're talking... Everything stems from it. Everything stems from it because people steal cars, they commit crimes in it because you can't trace it back to them. Right. Like, fucking steal a $300 Geo Prism and <laughs> go do You know what I mean? Like, what the hell are you doing? Like, this is going to lead right back to you and your dealership. And it does. Marge Gunderson eventually goes to see Jerry Lundegaard, and she's like, I think this car came from your lot. Yeah. You know? No, I don't think so. I don't have one missing. How disarming <laughs> is he, though, when he's like that? You know what I mean? And then he just takes off when she's interviewing him. <laughs> he's fleeing. <laughs> he's flinging the interview. Yeah. <laughs> He's fleeing the interview. He's fleeing the interview. Yeah, it's uh, it's great. I mean, this is Joel and Ethan Cohen, man. This is them. Like, this is why they're so good. So, one of the notes I have on it <laughs> is he's fleeing the interview. <laughs> when you see the movie, right? You can't imagine that a writer or director could write dialogue like this. It yeah. seems a lot. Like, to me, it seems improv, right? But if you go online and you look at the scripts for The Big Lebowski, you look at the scripts for Fargo, anything Joel and Ethan Cohen write. It's all written in there. It's just like, to me, I'm like, did they get fucking high or something or take LSD and just write this out? Dude, that's why they won an Oscar for that is because they didn't really have, from what I understand is they didn't have to change very much or improv scenes because it's all written It's all like written that. down. Yeah. Right. Like when you um, watch The Big Lebowski, like the uhs, the pauses, the, <laughs> you know, um, it's like, you know, the perfect example is when, uh, what's his name? Uh, fucking John Goodman's character. Yeah. What the hell is his name? Walter. Walter's sitting there, like, on his one of his diatribes at the bowling alley, and he's like, 
you know, just for example, we'll play a clip right now, and it's so ridiculous. And if you read the script, it's all written that way, and it's unbelievable. Yeah, man, it really tied the room together. This was a value dog. Yeah. Tied the room together, dude? My rug. Were you listening to the dude's story, Donnie? What? Were you listening to the dude's story? I was bowling. So you have no frame of reference here, Donnie. You're like a child who wanders into the middle of a movie and what, wants to know. Walter, what's the point, man? There's no reason. Here's my point, dude. There's no fucking reason why these. Yeah, Walter, what's your point? Huh? Walter, what is the point? Look, we all know who is at fault here. What the fuck are you talking about? Huh? No, what the fuck are you? I'm not. We're talking about unchecked aggression here. What the dude. fuck is he talking my about? My rug. Forget look, it, Donnie. You're Walter, out of your element. Walter, the Chinaman who peed on my rug. I can't go give him a bill. So what the fuck are you talking about? What the fuck are you talking about? The Chinaman is not the issue here, dude. I'm talking about drawing a line in the sand, dude. Across this line, you do not. Also, dude, Chinaman is not the preferred nomenclature. Asian American, please. It's unbelievable. So I just wondered if Joel and Ethan Cohen just get high as fuck and just write this stuff because there's that one clip in um, Fargo where she's going to go up to the bodies and check it out. Mm-hmm. And then she... <laughs> You see something, Margie? Nope. <laughs> just think I'm going to barf. Because <laughs> she's having morning sickness. Yeah, because she bends over. Yeah. Okay. So we got a trooper pull someone over. We got a shooting. These folks drive by. There's a high-speed pursuit. Ends here. And then this execution-type deal. Yeah. I'd be very surprised if our suspect was from Brainerd. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, from his footprint, he looks like a big fella. You see something down there, Chief? No, I just think I'm gonna barf. Jeez. You okay, Margie? Yeah, I'm fine. It's just morning sickness. Well, that passed. Yeah? Yeah, now I'm hungry again. Oh my god, it's just it's f- classic. And that's the one thing that um, you know, Joel and Ethan Cohen are they're successful, but they're not like they're not blockbuster directors yeah, uh, and writers. I th- I think they're the types that like small studios will be like, hey, we'll give you twenty million to do whatever the fuck you want. Right. You know, they're not going to be like your Michael Bay's or your Ask you know, grew Michael Bay, James Cameron's or anything. You know <laughs> what I mean? Right. So. That's one of the big notes I wanted to say. If, if you read the scripts to it or you see the dialogue and you're like, that's ingenious, it is all written from Joel and Ethan Cohen. Yeah, there's not much. Uh, they did a True Grit in 2010. I didn't know that. True Grit was great. Yeah, that and was And that's good. where Haley Steinfeld was discovered, which is weird because when she was, I don't know how old she was, 12 or 13? Yeah. She was the, I think, did she win an Academy Award for that? I'd have she to She was look. nominated. Uh, if you look at her at 12 or 13, that is her best movie by far and, and now she's like a pop singer and she does all this like tween bullshit like pitch perfect and stuff like that and it's just like i get the the parts don't come along as off you know what i mean like how many joel and ethan cohen movies come out like once every five years well i'll just read a couple in that are i guess hits that you'll probably know mm-hmm. uh burn after reading they did the screenplay that was funny. It was funny, but it was definitely one of those movies that didn't do very well in the box office. No, but and I think you have to... It's kind of a weird thing, like, because... <laughs> John Malkovich's character in that movie kills me. 
And Brad Pitt. Obviously. Brad Pitt, yeah, yeah. and uh, George Clooney's character. Mm-hmm. He thinks that it, someone's always following him and stuff. Eh, it's funny. Uh, no Country for Old Men. Great movie. Awesome Read the book. Movie. Unbelievable. Yeah. Um. Let's see. Oh, Brother, We're Out, though. I did not like I that. The Big good. Lebowski, obviously. Fargo. Uh, the earlier ones, Raising Arizona. That's pretty good. I don't know good. if you like that or not, but yeah. So, I mean, they did a lot of stuff that I really enjoyed. I like those guys. Yeah. Um, going back to the movie after the state trooper pulls him over for the false mm-hmm. tags. Do you remember exactly what happened there? Yeah, so uh, he pulls him over for the tags. Uh, Steve Buscemi's character is trying to smooth talk him. Officer What's his thing? Peter Peter Stormit, Storm, excuse me, Stormare's character is sitting in the front seat. The funny part is he shines the light in and he just <laughs> doesn't even turn to look at the trooper. Right. And he tries to bribe him. Uh, he what, says like 50 bucks or something? 50 bucks. He puts it in the edge of his wallet. He thinks, you know, this is... Uh, stupid yeah can i pay for these tags right here basically and you know this is a cop that's just not going to be bribed and you know at that point he tells him to get out of the car because he's basically bribing an officer well and he sees i think he hears or sees the female in the back too he doesn't do that yet he tells him to get out of the car and then she starts muttering or making noise in the back Uh and then when he puts his flashlight in the back that's when peter stormare opens the glove box takes the gun and executes him basically shoots him in the head right there because he's like oh the jig is up right yeah it pulls him like right up to the and that's car the thing and- as a cop we don't do that we don't put our heads into windows we don't put our hands on when and it's for that reason so people can't grab you right so yeah and then another car a passerby sees steve's character pull you know pulling the trooper back to his car yeah and then peter's character drive gets in the driver's seat and chases this car down it ends up crashing mm-hmm and I think one other person like died in the car accident, and then he shoots the other one. Well, there's one that's alive in the car, and the one's running. Oh, and he running! Shoots away. him in the back, and then he goes up, and you think might show a little bit of compassion because it's like a little girl. It looks like maybe a 12 or 13 year old girl. Really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't. And he just blasts her right in the head. And that's where it all went south. <laughs> and that's kind of yeah, that's kind of where it goes south because now they're in the radar. They see the dealer plates. It says Tan Sierra. So she has kind of a lead to start with. I mean, it's Brainerd. It's Brainerd, North Dakota. I know they call it Fargo, but it's Brainerd, North Dakota. There's a handful of people there, right? So anyone driving through that's not from there is going to leave a mark. People are going to notice them. Yeah, because it's small. There's a few truck stops along the way, along the main highway. So she just starts there and just starts asking questions. She comes across a couple prostitutes who sound like fucking idiots. Uh, and then she gets a bunch of leads and it's, it's actually not that hard and it's, but it goes to show that it's like, that's what police work is, right? Yeah. That's the biggest thing that they were probably dealing with at the time. So that was the, uh, Marge's focus and that's what she went to work on. So she just did all the police work rounding that and it's cool. I mean, you wouldn't see that from a sheriff or like a chief of police, right? Them going out and doing all the legwork, you know, I thought that was really cool and, her character was endearing. It was if she was funny as hell. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just some of the things, you know, and it's the way Joel and Ethan Cohen shoot it. You know, the part where she's the prowler needs a jump. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I'm gonna go fix you some eggs, Margie. There's a. I read something on IMDb that I don't know if I can pull it up here, but it was part of the. They were trying to put like a backstory in Francis and what's his uh, Marge's Norm. Norm. Ah, Norm. Yeah, they were saying that something in the did not know or something that they tried oh. to put in the backstory of the movie is that they were both cops at one point. Oh, okay. And since Marge was the better cop, 
they decided only one could do the job at the time. So Norm quit to be a painter, and yeah. she progressed in law enforcement because she was a better cop. So I thought that was kind of a cool. Who, what were you? Is that some fan bullshit? I don't know. People write because people do that with like Titanic. They're like Jack really survived and he (laughs) married Rose. (laughs) Let me see if I can pull it up here. That sounds like some fandom nonsense. I I I like that though because you kind of really don't know what Norm does. Right. They talk about his art briefly, and I guess he's entering into some show. And she's like, you know, your stuff's better than his Norm, and they kind of go over a little bit. But I don't think that's his job to be an artist. No, I don't. I. It was just something I read in the, you know, the little sure. extra stuff that they have I mean, at the bottom. You could tell, like, he did something like ran a general store or something. You know what I mean? Something right. like super wholesome in Midwest. So I just looked. I found it. It's under Fargo Trivia. Um, it was told or decided by uh, Marge's character and Joel Cohen that they discussed to get into the backstory for the character that um, Marge and Norm were both police officers or working as police officers. And when they were married, one of them, or they had to choose, uh, one had to quit. And since Marge, Marge was the better officer, Norm quit and took up painting, is what they said. So oh, okay. it's just how they developed their characters. Right. I would imagine Norm as a painter would paint like ducks and mallards and swans and shit, like in <laughs> lakes. You know what I mean? Like you couldn't imagine he's painting like maybe landscapes or something. I don't know, but like I don't know. I always had this thought that he like worked at a general store, managed like the farming fucking scanning groceries. Yeah, you know, or doing something like he was a manager at a supermarket or something. That's just seems super wholesome, you know? Yeah. So what do we got for the end of this? Um, so kind of all unwinds because fuck, Jerry's an idiot. It all unwinds and there's two bumbling idiots. Uh, Peter Stormare and Steve Buscemi end up kind of screwing things up. Once, like, I think you're right. Once they killed the trooper and Marge got on the case, they, you know, they started kind of following them and picking up their tracks. They start kind of making mistakes. Yeah. Um, they have her in that cabin out by the lake. She ends up dying from, looks like, exposure. Yeah, I don't know. They didn't really go over that either, but... So, William H. Macy's character goes to the stepdad and Mm -hmm. tries to get a loan for the parking lot business. Right, and that's kind of his last-ditch effort before the kidnapping. Right. Because he he doesn't want his wife to be kidnapped. He wants to get the money... In a legal way, and right. probably not legal. He's probably going to steal it. You know what I mean? And say like the, the whole investment got fucked up or something. Yeah. So he goes. He goes to that, and he says, "No, we'll we'll give you a finder's fee, basically. Right. But we want to be in the business." He says, "No, that's no good because I found it. Blah blah blah. It's my mm. thing." Um, and then she gets kidnapped. He asks. He asks the stepdad or whatever, or father-in-law. He wants a million dollars. Right. And then, right. <laughs> no. And then. Uh, so then he gets involved. He goes, no, it's my daughter. I'm going to do the drop. And William H. Macy says, no, I. they are asking for me. Because he wants to take that money. He wants to, because he's only going to give the two knuckleheads 40 grand Forty grand in the car is what, yes, right. what the understanding was. Um, he doesn't want them to know there's a million dollars. No, he's going to keep the rest. Right, he's going to keep the rest because he knows that those guys would ask for more money, obviously. Right. So he's kind of, you know, it's kind of like a house of cards for him. Everything needs to go right. Nothing fucking goes right. Dad storms off because you could tell the dad's very assertive. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, he's like, I'm going to go do this myself. I'll take care of it. He's packing like a 38 Smith and Weston. <laughs> right. Um, goes to meet him and Steve Buscemi's character ends up killing him, shooting, killing him. And yeah. then <laughs> he gets shot like- in the face. <laughs> One of the that scene, uh, maybe we'll, if, I, if I can find the clip, I'll play it right now. Who the fuck are you? Who the 
fuck are you? I got your damn money. Now where's my daughter? I am through fucking around. Drop that fucking briefcase. Where's my daughter? Fuck you, man. Where's Jerry? I gave simple fucking instructions. Where's my damn daughter? No, Gene, no money. Drop that fucking money. No, Gene, no money. Is this a fucking joke here? He gets out of the car. Who the fuck are you? Yeah. You know? <laughs> Drop that fucking bag. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They go at it. Uh, he ends up getting shot in the face. He takes the bag. He realizes later that, oh my God, there's... Steve Buscemi gets like grazed. Yeah. Yeah, grazed in the face. Steve Buscemi realizes there's a million dollars here. Okay. I have all the money. My partner, Peter Stormare, who's at the cabin, still only thinks we're getting 40 grand. Right. So he's like, sweet. I'm going to bury this. Go give him the half. Come back later. Get the money after my face is stitched up. And then be on his merry way. Right. So he's going to try to keep the other... The yeah. other the almost million dollars. And one of the cool parts is in, in when they... Um, we were talking about the, the, sh- the show on FX. The Fargo show. Yeah. One of the cool parts is in... I think it's season two? No, it's, is it season two? We're, describe a little With bit. the... Uh, what's his name? Um, Chubby Red. Oliver, Oliver Platt's character. He owns the supermarkets. No, I think that's season one. That is season one, yeah. Yeah, it's season one. Um, you know, I think everyone, when they watch Fargo, right, they wonder what happened to the million dollars. You know, right. he takes the, the window scraper and he puts it kind of as a flag in the ground. And everyone wonders what happens. And in the show, they tell you what happens to the money, which I thought was a, like the best tie-in of all i don't remember that you have to share it yeah oh it's great it's probably one of the best parts about the the show but season one of um fargo is unbelievable it's better than the movie in my opinion it is so anyway it all kind of unravels we'll get back to the movie all kind of unravels steve buscemi's character tries to talk to peter stormare and tries to hey you know Here's your half of the loot. We got 40 grand a piece. It ends up being 80 grand. 40 grand a piece. They argue about, you know, the truck or whatever, the car. And he's like, pay me for the other half of the car. Right. Peter Stormare's character. He wanted the car, right? Peter Stormare's character. He did. said, you can take the car, but you're paying me for half of it. Right. Okay. And Steve Buscemi, for whatever reason, argues with him. Yeah, he should have just took the truck and got the fuck out of there. Yeah. Because he has a million dollars buried. Right. So he ends up killing him, puts him in a wood chipper, another famous scene. <laughs> Frances McDormand comes across him as he's doing it. She catches him. Should have lit should have pulled the trigger on him right there while he's freaking has a shoe sticking out of the yeah. wood chipper. <laughs> Blood spraying everywhere. Um, does that and then she ends up catching him and then um it's all you you came to f- come to find out that after he goes to jail, they the whole uh, William H. Macy, Jerry Lundegaard's plan goes out the window. They know that he was the one that hatched the scheme and they end up finding him and catching him. Yeah, they ended up And he ends up going him. to jail. So it was cool. It's a good movie. That's one of those movies I can watch once a year and never really gets too old. Yeah, I actually purchased it this year because I, I watched it and then I was like, you know, kind of grew on me after I watched the, se- the uh, series too. Sure. So, but. When I first remember seeing it, I was just like, what the fuck did I watch? Like, because it was kind of... It's hard to piece it together when you're young. Because yeah. I watched it when I was young, and the only things I took away from it was these people sound funny. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I didn't really get the, the scheme of it, because there's a lot of characters that are all intertwined, and you don't realize it until the end. Right. You know what I mean? Uh, I mean, overall, what would you say that this... To- uh, rank it 1 out of 10. Uh, I get a 7. Seven. I think it's seven. It's a cop movie. It's a solid seven. I think Frances McDormand's character is really good, and she does a good job in terms of following up on all her leads, even though she sounds dumb. Right. Uh, following up all her leads and everything. And like I said, all my friends from North Dakota are like they're fucking hurt by that. 
their, their feelings got hurt because that's what they but i will say this everyone i know from the midwest they're all super nice like that they yeah. might not sound like that and they're not as simple as that but they're all super nice well i'm one of you guys from the midwest right here I'm dork i know <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I, I think I would just go right with the IMDB. I liked it. I think it, I'd give it an eight yeah. for sure. So the show's better. I would highly suggest going on Hulu. If you haven't, there's three seasons on Hulu right now for, and it kind of goes in my opinion, one, two, three, in terms of how good it is, but yeah. Billy Bob Thornton's in it and he kills it. Uh, it's a great show, man. That, that show's awesome. It's better than the movie in my opinion. So I, it's a binge watchable show. And I don't know if they're going to come out with a fourth season. Do you know? I have no idea. No. So I know. That, I just wait for the updates on Hulu. Yeah. I know True Detective's coming out with a new season. That's going to be dope. Woof. I didn't like the second one. The but, second season was terrible. First yeah. season was sweet, though. Yeah. So. So, anyway, that is the 1996 hit Fargo. Dirk, what do we have next? We're going to do Call of the Week. Call of the Week. This is this is a doozy that Dirk and I were on. It was pretty cool. Yeah, riding Ghost Man. And we're back for the call of the week. Teddy, lead us off. Typically, when we do the call of the week, we get dispatched to a call. Yeah. Where dispatch notifies us that there's some type of incident going down and we need to respond. On this particular night, though, we were doing proactive police work and we conducted a traffic stop. Being good cops. It was probably, what, midnight, 1 a.m.? Okay. Proactive police work stops crime before it starts. Yes. So So (laughs) we were in a rough neighborhood. And we saw a car with a headlight out, so we decided to stop it. We weren't, I don't think we were even looking to write a ticket, were we? We may have been looking just to write it. Yeah. Write a ticket write just a ticket. because. Uh, I think, was I the one that contacted him? Yeah, you were yeah. driving. I was sitting shotgun. We were riding two men. It was probably, like you said, around 12, 1 o'clock. Mm-hmm. Wasn't that, wasn't that late because I wasn't upset with what happened anyway. So Yeah, it was early in the night, so we ended up contacting the guy. Your typical <laughs> license registration proof of insurance. Guy has like none of it. <laughs> yeah, it was a, he was acting a little wonky. I didn't notice. That was a good part. Having uh, Dirk there, I did not notice his behavior because I was more focused on getting the essential paperwork, phone number, address, all that stuff from him. Dirk happened to notice when we got back to the car when I went to go run his information that he was acting a little bit funny. Yeah, and that's, I'm going to say, the biggest thing I, if I could talk in some sense into the people upstairs at the police department, is that's like the biggest thing I, I think is awesome about riding two man is that i see things differently from the passenger seat that teddy sees different from the driver's seat so even on traffic stops he uh teddy's taking his attention and i am seeing just him and his body language and all the stuff that he's doing because teddy's drawing his attention over there and i just saw that he always was keeping his hands on his like I think you asked him to put his hands on the steering wheel. He did for a second and then dropped him back down to his sides. Yeah, sure. You know, doing the indexing a little on his pants. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, eh, there's something a little wonky going on here. I don't know yeah. why I like that term, but yeah. It was a little it was a little strange. So when I went back and I ran up to our system, it turns out he had a, a warrant for his arrest. And that's probably what was going through his mind is that right. he missed court or something. Yeah, and he told us that. He's, I think he said I had just recently gotten out of jail for something, and he was coming back. He was, sell, like, he had, he was like, oh, I went and watched the Broncos game or some nonsense or something. Yeah. You know, we asked him where he was coming from. He said, oh, I was coming from a friend's house. You know, at that point, we called for an additional car. Mm-hmm. You always want to have backup. I mean, Dirk and I could have handled that ourselves, but we called for an additional car to come back us up, get him out of the car. And initially, too, 
just because of the, his vehicle was in the street. So yeah, um, that other additional car would tow the car for us. Right. When we would take this guy to jail for his warrant. At this time, we didn't know there was anything else going on. Right. We thought he had a warrant. Warrants are easy. That means the probable cause has already been established for a different crime. And we're just kind of the messengers taking him to go see a judge. Yes. I mean, that's essentially what it is. Yeah. Judge says, hey, we're court ordering this guy in. Yes. We're the messengers bring him there pretty easy yeah warrants are easy so at that time we're thinking like there's nothing else but actually i'm thinking there's nothing else and dirk's like nah there's drugs in the car. And I, it was probably his mannerisms or something again i was not paying attention to any of that i think i was more concerned with getting him into handcuffs and getting him secured yeah and i noticed uh there was something in the center council mm-hmm. in plain view that i i couldn't tell what it was but i knew it was drug related sure. it was paraphernalia of some sort right and then i was just like let's get him out put them in cuffs for that and then go from there yeah so with like he teddy said probable cause was already established we arrested him at that point for his warrant and then so we arrested him for the warrant we get him secured in our car uh at that point because his car wasn't legally parked on a public street you have to inventory the vehicle before it's put into the the impound right yeah now that is the constitutionally that is sound. You can do that, but it's for inventory purposes. Okay. Now, if you happen to come across anything else, it is still admissible in court. Yes. So we were inventorying the vehicle because what would happen if the trunk was loaded with a thousand pounds of cocaine or something, right? Yeah. And you just tow it to the impound without even looking, then you have illegal drugs in a vehicle. So that's why you do the inventory, and it is constitutional to do such. Yeah. So we're looking. We find the paraphernalia in the front console. What was that? There was a straw with some cocaine residue. Ooh, cocaine. And then in right next to it, underneath, was a scale. Oh, so some Colombian wham bam. Sure. Yeah, right there we have probable cause to now the inventory stops and mm-hmm. it's now a probable cause. It's a search. It's an actual search. Right. Yeah, we're looking now because once there's the paraphernalia stuff like that, there's bound to be more. And sure enough. You look in the trunk. It was, well, he had just gone from a deal. He'd actually, it, it, it turned out he had distribution weight. He had a, was it three packages? Mm-hmm. Over 30 grams. You could tell he had just sold some. The, the scale had fresh residue on it. Uh, and that's what he was doing. He had a large amount of cash on him too. I don't know how much. It was over two grand, wasn't it? It was quite a bit, yeah. And small bills. Uh, the denominations were in 20s and they were all in hundred, like hundred, they were wrapped in like hundred dollars, like quantities, like you know 520s or whatever yeah so he was definitely a dealer kind of a nice guy i mean he wasn't giving us any guff you know and he he exercised his right to just not talk to us until he got a lawyer you right. know we we tried you know talking to him we mirandized him we tried getting him to hey maybe you could become a confidential informant with our narcotics unit you know if you give us some information but he was he was smarter than that he's been in and out of the system enough to know that like don't buy any cops bullshit because yeah, at the end he- of the day it's not going to work out good for you I believe he had a felony charge already, so we were charging him with a previous offender with a weapon. So. With a weapon, yeah. He, oh, we did find a gun. Yep. It was one of your typical, what was it, a shit Caltech? Yeah, something like that, high point, some some garbage that you get for 100 bucks or right. something off the street. These are the ones that circulate through the streets. It wasn't stolen. Surprisingly, yeah. So, I mean, and that's the thing, too. Unless they admit that they know it was stolen, that's not a charge. A lot of people are very confused by that, by the way. If you find stolen property on someone, at least in our state, there's no statute, basically. Yeah, receiving um, stolen property. Right. It's like all California shit. Right. You can't do it. Unless they say, oh, yeah, I knew it was stolen. No one's dumb enough to say that. No. So, and I think at that point, it's what? Theft by receiving or something? Yeah. It's a weird charge. It's a weird charge. 
Anyway, that was a that was a actually really good arrest, and that just comes from like we weren't looking for it. I mean, it was a headlight, and the wonky thing about that was was when we saw the headlight, the headlight was it was malfunctioning. So when we saw it, one headlight was working, one was not. When we pulled the guy over, it was like going on and off. Yeah, and I was like, I told him because that's what always happens. Of hey, course. your headlights out. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, like you can't see half the goddamn street. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? It's dark as fuck. Yeah, the headlight was all weird. I remember it would work and then it would shut off and it would work. It was weird. Yeah, and that's the thing too is that one thing that I people don't really know is that when you're not expecting stuff out on the street, that's when it happens. Oh, God. It always it happens ever, that way. Does it ever? That's why you, they, it's kind of like a thing with cops. You never say, oh, it's a quiet night. <laughs> yeah, because it's going to turn around and your next thing you're going to get into is fucking crazy. So and When people say, what's the hardest part about your job, the most frustrating part? It is that you have no, nothing you can do in your power will decide how your night turns out. No. You can't go into work and say, oh, it's just going to be a chill night. This is what I'm going to do. And I feel like I'm going to do this. No, it's based on the calls that come out and the idiots that are behind the freaking phone calling 911. Yep. Um, not everybody that calls 911 is an idiot, but uh, most of these people that we deal with on a nightly basis, I mean... Teddy and I, we discussed this before. We yeah. are 30 years old, and we've never called the police once. One time. These people are calling two to three times a week. Yeah, and it's the same. 85% of the population wants nothing to do with the police. They don't call the police, but there's that 15% that is constantly in a loop of calling. Yeah. I, I wish they would do some type of study on that, and I guarantee it would be the same 15 to 20% with the occasional person calling in about, like, her dog ran away or something. You know what I mean? But it is typically the same the same groups of people frequently calling the police. That would be a good study, actually. It's yeah, all it public information, so... That'd be a lot of boring shit. It would, <laughs> but over. it'd be some interesting turnout, I think. Yeah. You, you would, they would come to find, because as a normal citizen, I would be like, oh, cops just drive around all day. They're not doing anything. And then you come to see that, like, if you see a cop driving, he's going to a call, or he's doing something. He's going to go park someplace <laughs> to finish his report to go to the next one. <laughs> shit is busy, dude. Yeah, like you said, so we live in different cities. Yeah. And the, we don't live in the city we work in. No. But no. Uh, it's funny, because the city that i live in they would never know my name or that i even exist here unless my house gets broken into or my car gets broken mm -hmm. into they're not going to hear about me they're not going to know that i even live in that city but these other people that i mean that were <laughs> called all the time were just like oh it's joe phalange calling again oh like, yeah same geez. people yeah joe glass <laughs> joe glass is calling again you know his neighbor's pissing him off because his sprinkler's hitting his lawn you know it's right. just shit like that so well kudos on that uh stop that we had i'd say that was more you i mean i would have been like Durr. <laughs> <laughs> like, i mean you pretty much uh, sniffed out some drugs and uh dirk's pretty good at that he's done that a, a few times this routine traffic stops have turned into some big drug bust for him so i'd like to say though it's all in everybody has if you want to find out anybody and what they're doing don't try to figure out what they're saying it's what they're not saying it's their body language is 90 percent of what they're what do they call it they call it furtive movements which is a suspicious movement right it's yeah. stuff that a normal person wouldn't do and like the if you look if you're just going to walmart and stuff and you're look if you want to look at someone to see if they're like doing a concealed carry or something just watch people people watch mm-hmm because people will literally index what they say, what they call it, indexing. It's They'll touch the area mm -hmm. because they're nervous about it or it's not a part of their normal routine or something. It's so. compensating movements, right? So they're yeah. not going to be walking 
exactly right. You might be like, oh, that person has a limp or something because one leg is compensating for the other one because they're being obstructed because they have a concealed, either an appendix carry in the front or on the side. Right. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's actually a very good point, what you're saying there. Yeah, I like it. Well, thanks for being back here, Teddy. Um, yeah, I'm good to be back. Dude, I feel rusty, man. I feel like, you know, the DH that comes off, like, you know, injured reserve, and he's just kind of having, like, he's batting, like, one for ten. That's how I kind of feel, man. I got to get back into the game. I got to get back into Teddy mode. Yeah, well, we're on episode, this was episode 12, so... I don't know how many more you want to do, but I want to keep it going. Um, yeah. Well, maybe next time you won't silence me. Yeah. And you'll invite me over and you will answer my text messages and my phone <laughs> oh, calls and stop yeah. trying to uh, stop my First here. Amendment speech and maybe stop pushing me out of the company I helped create. I don't know. Maybe company. something like that. would be cool. Well, be real chill. before we go, be tight. go to bonescoffee.com. Get yourself some coffee. Uh, thanks again to them for sponsoring the podcast. Visit us on Instagram. Yeah, go to Instagram. Email us, twocopsandadonut at gmail.com. And let us know if there's anything you guys want to see different with the podcast. If we want to change it up, Teddy, I know you like the personnel files. If you want to keep it in. I like the personnel files because I like talking about myself. Well. I don't know if that's weird. (laughs) Some might call that sociopathic um, behavior, but I like talking about myself. Now, you know, I think the whole thing was just, uh, I mean, we can we can do it any which way. We just want to know what the, the people that actually do listen uh, have to say because we're doing it for them. This isn't for us. This yeah. is for you, okay? Yeah. It's to entertain you on your drives to work or while you're at work. When you're sitting in a cubicle, listen to the radio. You can listen to Two Cops and a Donut and listen to Dirk and Teddy go over all their calls and the best movies, the best cop movies. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. And you know where to get your fucking donuts every morning. Yeah, if you live in the Denver metro area. Yeah. Well, I really like it. I think the best part for me is the movies because I enjoy movies and I know you do too. I do like um, to watch a movie. And I don't know about anybody else, but if you want to hear something different, email us. Go to Facebook or Instagram. Two cops and a donut. Let us know. Yeah, that's all we have for this week. And we're going to post our next movie unless. Teddy has something off the top of his head right now that he wants to roll out. We don't know what we're doing next, but it'll be awesome. We'll post it on Facebook and we'll post it on Instagram so you know what's coming up next. So this is us at Two Cops and a Donut, signing off. Aim for the bushes. We out.